Brother, I would ask you to open your Bibles, uh, please, at least uh, to begin with, uh, to 1 Peter and chapter 2. 1 Peter and the second chapter. In the mid-1950s, Professor John Murray wrote a very excellent book uh, entitled Redemption Accomplished and Applied. Anybody here read that book? You familiar with that book? Ah, excellent stuff. Well, in that book, he divided Christ's saving work under two broad headings, as the title reflects. First, of course, is redemption accomplished. That is, Christ's work of atonement, suffering and dying in the place of sinners as our substitute. But obviously, we weren't saved at that moment that Christ died. No, what he secured had to be made ours or had to be applied, and therefore the second part of Professor Murray's book, Redemption, applied the actual saving of sinners. And it is clear in looking at even the table of contents of that book that it's a work so full that scripture must use many words in order to describe it. Things like calling, uh, regeneration, and justification, and so forth. You know, we're told that the very name Jesus, he shall save his people from their sins. Not only forgiveness, but the complete undoing of sin's ruin. Or if you please, Christ's complete triumph over sin. Well, it's this application of Christ's salvation in time that we are actually now considering and doing so in the order of it, what is called the Ordo Salutis, uh, having first noted that God purposed our salvation before time, Ephesians chapter 1, how you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, or 2 Timothy 1.9, how he saved us, not according to our works, but with according to his purpose and grace that were given us in Christ Jesus before time began. Well, now we come to consider what Professor Murray called the initial step in our becoming actual partakers of salvation, and that is calling, and because of the uh, nature of it, it has been termed effectual calling. And just notice a few texts uh, in scripture that speak of this. The first is 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now it's clear that by nature we were in spiritual and moral darkness. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 that we were darkness itself. Uh, that was us. But obviously that is no more the case because we have been brought out of uh, that darkness into God's marvelous light. That is, the Lord Jesus saved you. And, and Peter could have written that in a number of ways. What happened? Well, Christ, Christ saved you. But notice how he describes it. God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what made the difference. Uh, so this is a vital aspect of our salvation. It's the beginning of redemption applied. Please come to Romans chapter 1, another passage wherein we see this, Romans and the first chapter. And here in uh, Romans and chapter 1, uh, Paul actually uses this word, uh, called uh, more than once. Uh, let's take up our reading at verse 6, writing to all of those believers there in the church in Rome. And Paul uh, says of them, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Now, when he says the called of Jesus Christ, it could mean that you were those who were called by Christ or that you were called to belong to Christ. Either way, uh, the follows in saying you were called to be saints. Not simply that you are called saints, that's what you're known as, as saints, uh, but rather uh, it's you are saints because you were 
called in this way to be such. So Paul is saying here, you belong to Christ, you are now God's holy ones, as a result of this his calling you. Now, in that Paul stresses it twice here in these opening words in Romans, uh, should impress upon us that this, this must be important. And therefore, it's not surprising that later in this very letter, Paul describes Christians again in this way. Well-known text. Please come to Romans 8, 28. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. You notice how Paul gives these two parallel descriptions of the Lord's true people here. Uh, we are described as those who love God, and without exception, this is the case with every genuine Christian. Uh, we love him because he first loved us. But Paul goes on to say here in this verse that something else that's equally true of every genuine Christian. You are called, the called, according to his purpose. Now we would understand Ephesians 3.11 elsewhere that God has an eternal purpose and we are those who have been called. We are the called according to that purpose. Now Paul goes on to say something of what this purpose and his calling is in the next two verses when he goes on. Notice, if you would, uh, having uh, referred to called according to his purpose, verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, uh, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also, here we have it, called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Well, again, you see the idea. Uh, these who are saved, they are saved because they were called to salvation. Uh, called led to justification and ultimately glorification. Well, this was not simply the case in the church in Rome. You find very similar words in 1 Corinthians, and I'd ask you to turn there, please. 1 Corinthians, in chapter 1, in verse 2, Paul describes those Corinthians as called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord, their Lord and ours. You are called, you are effectually called to be saints. Every Christian is a Christian uh, because of this, and therefore every Christian is a saint, that is to say, a separated one. That's the idea. So called to be saints, set apart for God, but not just that. Notice verse 9 of chapter 1, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, this is but another way of saying God saved you. He called you to this salvation, which makes you separated ones and set apart for God. And, by the way, it is called into that relationship, that fellowship with his son. Uh, let me give you another passage. Over in Second Thessalonians, in chapter 2, it tells us about God's choice of sinners for salvation and, and of how they would be saved. Notice uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll start at verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. He chose to save you. He also chose how you would be saved. That is, that work of the Spirit and our own belief in the gospel to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He called you by this gospel through the proclamation of it. So again, he not only chose men before time, he then in time called them to that salvation. Well, many more places in the New Testament speak of God's work of calling sinners. You find this word uh, mentioned more than 40 times, and, and therefore it's a fairly constant, even prominent note that is sounded in the New Testament. But is it a prominent note in your thinking? I mean, how many times this past week did you think, you know what? I'm the called of the Lord. 
I am what I am because he effectually called me. Well, how right that we should give attention to the matter, especially since this is part and parcel of our salvation. I want to divide up our study under two heads. Firstly, what it is, and secondly, how it works. So that's where we're heading. Firstly, what is this calling? Now, the words call and calling, uh, they appear in various connections in the New Testament. We're not going to trace out every use of those words, uh, because our concern is this call to salvation. That's our focus. But I would illustrate something of its meaning from a non-theological usage in one of the uh, parables taught by our Lord Jesus. Please come to Matthew in chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. It's the parable of the wedding feast. And you notice verse 3. Well, let me back up verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Now, it's actually the same word in the Greek, same word uh, that's call, invited. And that is the same word that's used over Romans 8 and verse 30. Okay, So call, invited. And then it's found again here in verse 9 of 22. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite or call to the wedding. So clearly, it has to do with the invitation given to sinners. Right? I mean, they are called. They are invited. They are called by the gospel, summoned, if you please, to come. But we need to look at this a bit more closely. Because the Bible speaks of two different kinds of calling in that sense. Firstly, there is that which is called the general or the external call. Every time the gospel is preached in the hearing of sinners. Well, they are called. They are invited to use the language here of Matthew 22, 9. Christ is set forth and sinners are indeed called, invited, summonsed to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in this same chapter, uh, verse 14, he talks about many are called and a few are chosen. Well, he doesn't say all are called because not everybody hears the gospel. But many do hear that gospel who are yet, nonetheless, uh, not saved. Uh, the many uh, who have heard throughout the ages. And in every instance, it is a call. It is an invitation from God. Our Lord Jesus, when he said, come unto me, all you who weary and heavy laden. Well, there's... An invitation. There's the call. Uh, or when Peter on the day of Pentecost, what should we do? Well, repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Well, that's the call. Or when Paul would stand in Athens in Acts 17.30, God now commands all men everywhere to repent. Well, that's, again, a call. The general call. A very genuine invitation. When the Lord Jesus is talking about those who would have nothing, he said, you will not believe. You will not come to me. Uh, he nonetheless says to them in John 5, 34, I'm saying these things that you should be saved. So it was a genuine call, invitation, summons, if you please. Well, that's what we mean by the general or external call. It speaks to every time the gospel is preached. That's God's call, a genuine call to salvation to all, to you, if you're here without Christ, and therefore, come! But at times, Scripture speaks of a calling that goes beyond the uh, external or the general call. Uh, is that which has been called internal and therefore effectual. In other words, it's a call to salvation which actually draws sinners to Christ. That invariably results in their salvation. And it's seen in a number of those texts that we've read. A, a powerful work in sinners joining them to Christ. For instance, we read 1 Peter 2.9, how you were called, God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, that wasn't simply an invitation. Wouldn't you like to come out of the darkness and come over here to this marvelous light? It wasn't simply that. It was a powerful drawing out of that darkness and into his marvelous light, powerfully brought by God himself. Or in Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, 
here, we're called according to his purpose, and therefore uh, those whom he foreknew, he predestined, whom he predestined, in time he called. Not simply invited, though, because it actually results in their salvation. Whom he called, he justified. That is, they are declared perfectly righteous in Christ. They've been joined to Christ by faith. They were effectually called and therefore joined to Christ and saved by him. Uh, We can see the same thing in Romans chapter 9. I would ask you to come there, please. Romans in the ninth chapter. Here Paul is writing about vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy. Those whom God would save and those who will not be saved. And notice verse 22, uh, what of God wanting to show his wrath and to make known, uh, to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. So you've got these two classes or categories of people, vessels of wrath, vessels of mercy. But notice, how, how were they brought into that blessed state, these vessels of mercy? Notice verse 23, uh, sorry, verse 24. Even he, sorry, even us, whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. These vessels of mercy, upon whom God had mercy and revealed the riches of his glory and their salvation, here's how they came into that experientially, if you please. They were called effectually now many of those vessels of wrath heard the external call they heard the gospel preached surely a gospel invitation that was very genuine but they're not considered as having been called at least not in this sense of an effective or effectual call Uh, notice first corinthians chapter one we see this illustrated again Paul is here calling them to look at their own church and to see what kind of people that are there. What what kind? Well, he says, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. And how is it that we have so few who are wise and mighty and noble uh, in the ranks? Well, notice verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 1. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called that's why now does that mean that the gospel was not heard by any who were uh, the uh, wise and the mighty and the noble of this world well they never heard it no they did surely many of them not a few have heard the glorious good news and it's a genuine offer come to Christ repent believe the gospel but they're not called in that effectual sense that's why he says no no you guys you are those who are the called So clearly, you've got these two different kinds of of calling. One general, one specific. That is, specific sinners being saved. One's external, one's internal. And by the one, sinners are invited to Christ. Well, by both, they're invited to Christ. But then by the other, they're actually drawn. They're actually joined to the Lord Jesus Christ, actually saved by him. And it's this internal and effectual call uh, our Lord spoke of in the Gospels, in very graphic terms, how he's described. Matthew 18, Luke 15, John 10, uh, as that shepherd. And he goes after his sheep. And uh, notice what he says, in fact, of them in John chapter 10. Please come there. John chapter 10. Having talked about how he laid down his life for the sheep out of love for them. That was not the end. Verse 16 immediately follows. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. They're probably referring, I think quite dogmatically, to Gentiles, not Jews. Them also I must bring and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. They will actually be saved. And how is that? Well, he brings them. Hearing his voice doesn't mean audibly from heaven, but it does mean that it's that effectual call of Christ. And therefore, they are 
uh, brought into that flock and, and uh, under him as the shepherd because he effectually brings them or calls them, if you please. Notice what he said earlier in this very gospel in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, notice verse 25. Where there we read, Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now this is not that of which he went on to speak. Notice verse 28, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear, my, hear his voice and come forth. That day comes, right? When Christ comes and with that command, the graves give up the dead. And all will be raised. But that's not what he's referring to here, to here in John 5. Notice, he didn't say simply the hour comes. He said the hour comes and now is. As the resurrection day, he simply says the hour comes. That hour is, at that point, not yet. But this, he says, it already is. The hour is coming, now is. And again, what is it that's happening? Well, uh, when the dead, referring to those who are spiritually dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And again, it's not an audible voice from heaven, but it does mean they hear his voice in that gospel proclaimed. And therefore, it's an effectual calling uh, that uh, they are raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. Uh, that's something then uh, of what we see here. Uh, and it's this really that uh, our Lord referred to in the next chapter, John chapter 6, here you got these folk who are murmuring and the like and putting Jesus on trial, if you please. But he says, verse 43 of John 6, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Obviously, they're raised up the last day. They are drawn by the Father and joined to Christ, are saved by him. They have everlasting life. They will be raised by Christ to that everlasting life. Well, this word draw, it speaks of a, a, a powerful ex, uh, drawing, a, an exertion of power. It's the same word that's used over in John 21. You've got this net full of fish, and they draw it up on shore. This net that, well, that's not just simply a, ah, wiggle your finger and here we go. No, this is, this is it, a, a powerful drawing. No one can come unless the Father powerfully draws him. And so it is then, with every sinner whom the Father so draws, well, that exertion of his omnipotent grace, he brings them all the way to Christ. Uh, that doesn't speak of everyone who's ever heard the gospel, now does it? Everyone who's been invited, but uh, to all of those who are called according to his purpose. And knowing this, the Lord Jesus then spoke with that great confidence in this context, when he says in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Well, how do you know they will come? Because they will be effectually called or drawn of the Father all the way to Christ. The call is effectual. It accomplishes uh, its aim. Invariably saves those thus drawn or called. So God has a purpose to save elect sinners. And it's by uh, as these sinners rather uh, who are the called according to his purpose and what we see John 6, John 8 and elsewhere is that uh, uh, if you please Second uh, Timothy 1 9. Well let's turn there. Second Timothy 1 9. I referred to it, quoted part of it earlier. Referring to the power of God, 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before time began. He saved us. He called us. It was that effectual call uh, that actually joined us to Christ in his mercy, a calling that's distinct from and goes beyond uh, that general call whenever the gospel is declared, a call that powerfully and actually 
draws sinners to Christ by an internal work of God. Okay, but how does this work exactly? There's our second head. How does this work? Does it happen sort of secretly and mysteriously or uh, imperceptibly? I mean, is the sinner just kind of uh, uh, inexplicably zapped from heaven or controlled by uh, God as some kind of a, a robot? Well, no, not at all. I would begin by noting that there's something that these two different kinds of call have in common. Both the general and the effectual call begin with hearing the gospel. They are both a matter of hearing this glorious good news. As we saw in 2 Thessalonians 2.14, he called you by our gospel. But as we've seen in the case of those who are saved, it's not just hearing that it comes to the ear. It goes beyond that. You remember again what Paul had said to the Thessalonians over in 1 Thessalonians. You know, I'm convinced of your election because our gospel did not come to you in word only. You just We spoke it and that's as far as it went. No, but rather, well, as we were speaking that gospel, it did come in word. Oh, but then the Holy Spirit, it came in power. It came by the working of the Holy Spirit. And therefore they received even in affliction the word of God with joy. And they turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. It, it came with power. Taking root in the heart and bearing fruit in the life. And I use that uh, kind of language because that's how the Lord Jesus spoke of it. Please come to Luke 8. You've got the parable of the sower, or it could be called the parable of the seed. Luke 8, it's also found in Matthew 13 and Mark chapter 4. But in this parable, the Lord Jesus, you'll recall, he's talking about four different types of soil. You've got the wayside, the, the hardened path there, right? That's walked on all the time, and, and therefore it's hard. But then you've got also this stony ground, the thin layer of soil over rock and then also you've got soil that's producing all kinds of thorns and thistles and then you've got the good soil well uh, the point of the parable is the gospel seed falls in these different kinds of soil you've got some who are hardened against the gospel and then satan comes and plucks the word away you got others who gladly receive it when they hear it kind of like seed that's on a thin layer of soil um, because there's rock underneath and that thin layer is warm and therefore well it's going to shoot up right away but then you got other that it falls you got the thorns the thistles it chokes out the word but then you got these in verse 15 Luke 8:15 but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart keep it and bear fruit with patience now we're not going to discuss the noble and good heart except to say that that's not man by nature it speaks of God's work of grace but you notice here's what makes a difference all four of these soils receive the same seed they all heard the same good news Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners but to these guys it didn't stop at the ear gate That gospel seed powerfully bears permanent fruit in the hearts of these. Fruits of faith and repentance and so forth. Again, they all received the same seed. But in some, it was the power of God to salvation. That's how the effectual call works. Find similar language in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Please come there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 8, sorry, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They hear this message of the cross. They hear the gospel. Christ and him crucified for sinners, saving all who put their trust in him. To them, foolishness. They can't be bothered with it. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What does that mean? Oh, it's the means that God uses to save, to change, to notice how Paul went on to speak of it here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 4 and 5. Uh, they were treating the different uh, uh, 
preachers of the gospel as if they were different philosophers. And his point is, no, no, no. This is not different men with their different philosophies. We're preaching the same glorious message. It's, it's the gospel. And so he says in verse 4 of chapter 2, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When I came preaching the gospel, I didn't come with some kind of oratory. And you know how some orators, they can just draw you in with their words, such uh, flashes of eloquence. And so I deliberately did not come as an orator. I deliberately did not come as some philosopher giving you insights into the mysteries of the universe. I came with this glorious gospel. And I preached it plainly to you. And here's why. Because that's what God uses. So your faith would rest not in me and my wisdom and my techniques but in God's power because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation uh, to all who believe foolishness to those who perish but to us oh oh it's it's the very power of God and so it is then that uh, this is how uh, it works how God does that he goes on to say in chapter 3 one sows another waters that seed God gives the increase. He makes it effective to the salvation of those sinners. So that's how then the effectual call works. The gospel is heard. And then God uses it mightily. He called you by our gospel, Paul says there. And therefore, how important to get the gospel to the unsaved. This is a sincere invitation. And God effectively uses it to save sinners. Well, how important that the unsaved should give attention to that message. Believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Christ died to save sinners. Christ now lives to save sinners, being raised from the dead, and saves to the uttermost all who come to God by him. It's that simple message that is owned by the Holy Spirit But now, God's work of calling can actually be traced out beyond this. That is, into various operations of God on the mind and heart. For instance, at least generally, there's something like the law. God makes a person aware of the need of a Savior. As Paul said, by the law, we have the knowledge of sin there in Romans chapter 3. Uh, the idea that there's some conviction for sin. Not simply, well, I just, I'm a little unhappy and I need Jesus to pep me up. No, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Uh, where a man recognizes his, uh, his uh, standing before God and, and his guilt before God and the weight of his sin in some measure at least. I'm not talking simply about a guilty conscience. We're talking about being convicted and convinced that I must be saved or I perish. You know, Jesus spoke in John 16 of uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in convicting of sin. You're the man. You've sinned. Or when Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, and what, what must we do? What can we do? Or the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? There was some conviction. I realized that I must be saved. I must be made right with God. The Apostle Paul, I think he's giving something of his own testimony. We talk about the law came to life and I died. When I uh, thought outwardly, I'm doing very well. I am so clean, I squeak. I, I kept the law blamelessly as to outward. Oh, but then I was looking at that commandment, you shall not covet. And then the law became alive and I died because I realized I have all kinds of sinful desires. And though outwardly I might look very well, but now here I am slain by this now that conviction may happen by varying degrees it's not that everybody's going to feel this and it's going to last for x number no go all the way from the fear of hell to great despair or whatever the case might be but at least some recognition of guilt and of the seriousness of sin so as to want deliverance from it again not simply well jesus pet me up a little bit no There's also what has been called the illumination or illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, where the sinner's eyes are open 
not only to the need, but to that which can meet the need, that is to say, the gospel and him who is the heart of the gospel. Uh, Matthew's account of that parable of the sower that we looked at in Luke 8, it says, it understands. This seed, it, it, it understands these things. Or when Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father who sent me draws him, the very next verse says, and so it is written, they shall all be taught of God. That is to say, there's an understanding of these, my need and him who can meet that need. Or uh, uh, Paul uses the analogy, just as God commanded light to shine uh, out of darkness back in Genesis, well, so too, he commands light to shine in the hearts of the sinner, giving us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Or you've got that uh, 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 woman uh, there, uh, Lydia of Thyatira, and how the Lord opened her heart to receive the things that were spoken. So there's that work of the Holy Spirit, giving an understanding of this gospel, not simply a f- facts of it, and not only my need, but a real understanding of seeing Christ and my need for him and therefore he is precious well there are many variations and circumstances um, even as to the truths perhaps that are most pressed upon the heart uh, of the unconverted uh, by God's dealing well some maybe it's the glory of God and they've had some grasp this great and glorious and, and holy God and I am before him a, as a sinner uh, maybe it's a case of the law of God has come and you know which law haven't I broken and here I am or in the case of my own dear wife uh, the Lord Jesus wooed her and won her with his love and some it's the need of forgiveness. In my case, I knew I was a sinner. Nobody had to convince me that I'm a sinner going to hell. I knew, and I knew I needed to be forgiven. Didn't understand much, but I knew that much. I knew that Christ died to save sinners and wasn't even clear on exactly what that was all about, why it was necessary, but the point is, there was that truth. With some, maybe it's the fear of hell and the thought of heaven. goes on and on. The point is, whatever truths that God might bring to bear from his word, in connection with the gospel, he so deals with the mind and the heart that sinners then understand the gospel and they want Christ. And it invariably results in their going to Christ, obeying that gospel, repent and believe the gospel Jesus commanded, clinging to that Savior. So the gospel indeed becomes power of God to their salvation coming not only in word right effectual call different from the general everybody hears the word ah but the Holy Spirit makes it come in power so that there is a turning to God from idols and the like a bearing fruit because the God who begins the work well he completes it works in us to will and to do his good pleasure point I would want to underscore is that God does not bypass the mind, the mental process, or to put it another way, God's dealings with rational creatures are rational. Further, that means a true response to the gospel is not merely emotional. You got, I remember I mentioned that stony ground here. That's the, the thin layer of soil over rock. And, and therefore, because there's uh, no depth and that soil is nice and warm, and well, it springs up right away. And this, Jesus says, this is those who, they receive the gospel with joy. They're all, until persecution comes. The sun rises, no moisture, no root, it dies away. But that's an emotional response to the gospel. But they didn't have an understanding of the gospel. That's the true response. That receives it into the heart with understanding. And this calling, man is operated on. It's God who does the calling. But that does not mean man is passive. It's God who does the calling. God initiates the work. God performs the work. But people do hear the gospel. And they do respond in faith 
and repentance, believing on Christ, going to Christ. Well, that raises a question, perhaps, in the minds of many. Can this calling of God to salvation be resisted? Don't shout out the answer, but what would you say? Can this calling of God to salvation be resisted? Well, the answer is both yes and no. As to the external call, it not only can be resisted, it is. Every time sinners hear the gospel and walk away without going to Christ, that call is resisted. And in fact, even the elect may hear the gospel many, many times in their unsaved state. And that since that general call is resisted uh, to you, dear brother, dear sister. Perhaps you can think in your own testimony of how many times you actually heard of Jesus Christ. In my case, I didn't hear the gospel a lot, but I know that my dad would sit and listen to Billy Graham on the TV uh, when they used to do the week-long crusades that were televised. Some of you are old enough to remember that, perhaps. And, and I was hearing the gospel enough that I was worried oh god don't let me go to hell next morning i'd wake up and we're good to go you know Uh, but the idea of i heard many times it was resisted but that's the general call that's the external call as to the internal effectual call well as was said of the Canadian Mounties, at least at one time, they always got their man. Well, God always gets his sinner. God, having chosen before time, in time, does that internal and effectual work, and the gospel comes with power, and sinners do come, and that very willingly, not as robots, not kicking and screaming against God, but God works in us to will and to do his good pleasure. And so without exception, all those who are called in this way are justified and ultimately glorified. But the important question is not, can this call be resisted? The important question is have you been called? Has God so dealt with your soul? You have been called as to the external invitation and command or summons to come to Christ. But has God really dealt with your soul? So you've understood your need. You've seen you're a guilty sinner before a holy God. And you've also come to see something of the remedy That Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Actually, in the original, sinners is put forward for emphasis. Sinners to save. Have you gone to Christ? And does that very gospel continue to be God's power at work in you? If you're here without Christ, again, you have received the external call. You've heard the gospel, and it's a very sincere offer. Go to Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus. You will be saved. Repent and believe the good news. And therefore, to you, I would say, heed those words in 2 Corinthians 6, when it talks about, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Even to hear good news is a display of grace. That's not deserved. Well, don't receive it in vain. That is to say, well, okay, walking away. No, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time, Paul says. Now, how long will you walk away and go your own way? And how much time do you have left in this world? Go to Christ and go now. Believe on the Lord Jesus. You will be saved. Oh, well, wait a minute. Maybe somebody says, well, how can I? I'm a helpless, dead sinner. Or... I don't understand how all of this works. I just don't get it. How does this work? Well, let me give you an illustration from the physical realm. You know how Jesus said in John chapter 5 about uh, hear his voice and those who hear live. 
not unlike Lazarus, right? Albeit we're talking about physical death there. But you remember Lazarus. He died. He'd been in the tomb for four days. Jesus stood outside the tomb and gave the command, Lazarus, come forth. Well, it was not in word only. It was in power. And so it is that Lazarus, though dead for four days, well, behold, he's now alive and he comes forth. Now, would it have made much sense to you for Lazarus to say, I don't understand how this is going to work. I mean, I died. How am I going to walk out of here? Uh, I, 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 I don't see exactly uh, what's going on and, and how uh, this is to bring about uh, me walking out of here. It wasn't for Lazarus to sit there in that tomb and try and figure all this out. How did that happen? How am I alive now? How I... It was for him to do exactly what Jesus said. Lazarus, come forth. And can I say to you, if you're without Christ, it's not for you to sit and sort out, well, how does this work and what do I need to do exactly? Do what Jesus said. Repent and believe this good news. He saves sinners. Go to Christ. Those who come to me, no way will I cast them out. Well, you may not understand a lot of things. But you understand that? Go to Christ. And what will you now do with the Lord Jesus Christ? You go to him, I'll tell you what he will do. He saves sinners. Well, dear brother, dear sister, as you look at your own personal history, you can now trace out how God called you. Maybe you heard the gospel, as I've said many times, but at some point, it went beyond merely hearing with the ear. And whatever the exact circumstances, you did go to Christ. You turned, you trusted in him, and you found him to keep his word. Now, in all likelihood, you did not recognize what was going on. I can say the, night the Lord saved my wife and I both sitting in the sound of the gospel. We were not thinking of God at work here. So with you. The conviction of sin. You didn't think about, oh, this is the Holy Spirit at work. Your own sense of need or of guilt before God. Coming to an understanding of the gospel. Oh, this is it? Oh, of believing on this Savior and why he died? It. Even the Spirit striving with you to use the language of Scripture. Or how about that desire in your heart? Oh, I want to be saved. Or maybe it was fear. You didn't, you didn't see. This is this the hand of God. This is God by his Holy Spirit working within in that internal call. You didn't recognize that, did you? Chances are. But you see it now, don't you? Right? You can trace it. You know, that's... Well, what does that fact of his effectual call produce in you today then? I would say, firstly, it should cause us to see and marvel at his grace coming to us when we were in such rebellion, such sinners deserving eternal damnation, having perhaps rejected that good news many, many times, but yet God comes still in such power, making that invitation yet again in our hearing. All right, brethren, we should be in awe that we should be melted by his love and his, his desire for us. But also, seeing this calling with which he called you, surely it is now a call to live like it. God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Not that you should go on in darkness, but you should live in his glorious light to the praise of the glory of his grace. Or uh, that we should declare or show forth the excellencies of of God. It's for us to live consistent with that. Peter, I mean, firstly, Paul says over in uh, Ephesians 4 1, how walk worthy, walk consistently with the calling with which you've been called. Or notice the language of 1 Thessalonians 2 12. 1 Thessalonians, the second chapter, and verse 12. That you would walk worthy of God 
who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, it doesn't mean you somehow have to have a personal worthiness in order to... No. It's the idea of comparably, uh, commensurate with, consistently with. It's this glorious God who has called you, who had such mercy and grace on you, and drew you to Christ by his own omnipotent grace that made that good news come not just to the ear, Ah, but to the heart and the inner man who saved you, who actually drew you all the way to Christ and then justified you, and you will be glorified in him. It's this glorious God of all grace who called you, and he called you to his own kingdom and glory. Well, how are you living? Are you walking in a way consistent with that? That's what Paul is here saying. To walk worthy. Not personal worthiness. But come on, live up to that very God who so called you in light of that to which he's called you. Brethren, how much are you thinking about your calling? How much this past week did you think about effectual calling? Well, my God grant, it will be very clear in our thinking so as we worked out in our living. That is, after all, the point of this series on the Ordo Salutis. My God help us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for that great grace. Or even how we can trace out the many times that we rejected Christ, that Savior, and that good news that we could be saved by him. Lord, how we deserved everlasting damnation. And yet you loved us and you set your heart upon us even before time began, and in end time, you sent the gospel by the power of the Spirit. Lord Jesus, you raised us from spiritual death to glorious life. Father, you called us out of our native darkness into your marvelous light. We ask to be more mindful of this, to be melted by this, to be in awe of your grace. We also ask our Father that we would then walk worthier consistently with that which is true of us all because of your grace. Please help us by your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.